Hi, I'm David Ferbata with PrecisionAg.com and the Vision Conference. Welcome to this installment of our Visionary Series, where we talk to the people behind the future of farming. Our program is divided into past, present, and future, and I'm joined today by Robert Syke. He's founder and CEO of AgVisor Pro, which connects industry expertise with farmers, service providers, and other agribusiness professionals. He's worked in ag tech and agronomic consulting for the better part of 25 years, including startups that are now well-established companies. He's one of Canada's 50 most influential agricultural leaders. Robert, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, David. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you and your viewers. Thank you. Robert, you spent much of your professional career at the crossroads of technology and agriculture. When did you know that ag was somewhere you wanted to spend your life? And, uh, you know, what, what kind of led you there? Well, I think it really started early on through 4-H. And so uh, I got a good background in 4-H and public speaking. And then I suppose uh, it would have been about 1983 that I bought my first IBM computer, a 128K dual five and a quarter inch floppy, nine pin printer, monochrome screen. And I spent $6,300 on that back then. My dad had a conniption. And, uh, but it was the beginning, I'd never learned how to code, but it was the beginning of me learning how to connect the dots. Uh, at that stage of my life, I was one of the first people with a computer in university or in my early Elanco career. And certainly I've never been without a cellular phone. So uh, that, you know, that intersection of um, practical agriculture and technology has been in my blood from day one. I guess I always dreamt of going into space as a kid. I built rockets and stuff like that. So that's where it comes from. And of course you had to be a programmer back then because there was no mouse, there was no graphic interface. It was all DOS based, right? Yeah, all DOS or before that it was punch cards with Fortran and Pascal and basic, yeah. So you've worked for Trimble, you've worked for Dot that's now owned by Raven. Um, what, what are some of those experiences you had earlier in your career about ag startups and, and how those companies were bringing in innovation to market that helped uh, prove and define some of uh, your career and, and the things that you took away from those experiences? Well, I think that, you know, the, the, the culmination with Trimble um, was the result of us starting AgriTrend and AgriData. And I don't know if it's uh, a flaw or a gift, but I've always been able to identify some white space in the agricultural sector. And in 1996, I really got thinking about you know, why is agronomy treated as, a, as an event, springtime planting? Why is it an event and not a process? And so I built the 10-step soil interpretation process that today is used to train hundreds of agronomists uh, all around the world. And then the strategic crop plan, which is a year-long uh, agronomic process. And then later on, I leveraged that with the agri-coaching program. And to make that all run, we had to build a data system. And so we built AgriData Solution. And we went into the cloud before there was the cloud in, uh, in 2000. We were, I think, 2002 Alberta eBusiness of the Year for designing a thin architectural platform to manage farm data way before the word cloud existed. So we called it NetWare back in the day. That, that organization uh, of providing farmers um, 
you know, advice on how to allocate scarce resources led to the growth of AgriTrend. We had agri-coaches and agronomy, precision ag people, grain marketing and, and farm business management people all running on a platform. We layered, or layered on top of that in 2007, uh, one of North America's arguably first carbon credit trading companies. And we grew all of that and then integrated a lot of that through dealerships throughout the United States, all the way down to the Mississippi Delta with a whole bunch of John Deere dealerships. And ultimately we made a decision to sell that to Trimble in 2015 with an exit to 2018. Um, I began to think about AgVisor Pro in 2018, but in 2019, I was, uh, had some excess capacity and Norbert Bougeau, the inventor of DOT that was named after his mother, Dorothy, asked me to give them a hand. And so I served as CEO of the robotics company as we packaged that up and, and was acquired by Raven in, uh, in March of 2020, exactly uh, one year ago today. And so then I moved over to AgVisor Pro and I've been growing that since March 12th of 2020. Now, this agronomic consulting, this business consulting, this connectivity um, that is the basis of AgVisor Pro, um, you're launching it, calling it the Uberization of Knowledge Transfer, uh, which I like a lot. Um, tell us a little bit of why, um, you know, you spent a, a lot of your life connecting experts. Mm -hmm. Why is this platform something that was missing in, in the current ecosystem? Well, through the course of the, my time, I spent a lot of time advocating for genetic engineering and GMOs. And so I produced a TEDx talk called Will Farming or Will Agriculture Be Allowed to Feed 9 Billion People? That's still on TEDx. And one of the 165,000 viewers was Bill Gates. And Bill Gates put me in touch with Cornell University, who connected with me. And then later on, that led to, uh, on May the 2nd, 2017, I had six hours with Bill Gates talking about what we had built at AgriTrend and AgriData. And it was largely a humanistic connectivity channel. But he said, you know, what you need to do, Rob, is you need to think about scaling that. And so the genesis of, of AgVisor Pro was that meeting with Bill Gates. And I was thinking about, you know, the merging together of eHarmony. So how do we take eHarmony and FaceTime and, uh, and Uber and Twitter, and how do we merge all of those together in a brand new software platform, which we built called AgVisor Pro. And so today, a farmer or anybody, David, you, you seeking advice on whether it's software or mechanics or veterinarians or greenhouses or agronomy or grain marketing, you can go on to AgVisor Pro and we can connect you eHarmony instantaneously FaceTime, there's, there's no phone calls with AgVisor Pro uh, and we can transact. So we Uberize knowledge and wisdom with AgVisor Pro, connecting seekers with experts and those experts could be independent. And then we started adding companies. So we have a whole bunch of companies now that farmers can access for free on AgVisor Pro. People like uh, Ag Growth International, the big grain handling company, uh, or MNP, an accounting firm, or Farm Credit Corporation, any number of companies are now on AgVisor Pro and can be connected for free. And then what we started to do is we're integrating AgVisor Pro inside of other platforms. It's called 
an application program interface or an API interface. So we're integrating AgVisor Pro with the likes of the Bosch company Nevenex for equipment to equipment support. We're integrating with Ecoation, which is indoor farming, Intellinair, which is anomaly detection and alerts for farmers in season. And most recently on Tuesday, we just announced the integration of AgVisor Pro inside of the Zarvio scouting application. So if you're using Zarvio scouting to identify a weed or an insect, and you wanna to talk to a human being, either a company or an independent expert, you hit the AgVisor Pro button, bang, we take care of the connectivity. So that's kind of where it came from and, and where it's at today. And how's it, how's it been uh, accepted so far? Well, like anything, you know, it's a, it's a new technology. Like how long did it take people to realize that, uh, um, you know, GPS was needed in tractors? So the adoption rate is kind of slow at first and then accelerated. But I got to tell you, David, that COVID has been a godsend for AgVisor Pro because we're doing this right now. And, and this, this uh, you know, Zoom call, this uh, video conferencing has been around forever. Go-to meetings have been around forever, but no, we're flying everywhere. We're doing all these things. Well, now we're doing things using technology and AgVisor Pro is an evolution. So when, until we have Star Trek transporters, we have AgVisor Pro. So we can put an expert in the field. We can put an expert in the greenhouse, in the barn or in the shop without the expert having to be on the farm. Think that through a little bit, that's pretty cool. And the technology all exists in the palm of the farmer's hands today. So it, uh, it's been pretty cool to see how it, so it's taking off. We're adding new, new users every week. We're adding new tech direct partners every week and we're just moving into the US market right now. Yeah, you've got an interesting perspective bringing all these different disciplines together if we can stay on that theme for a minute, how do you see um, other ways that COVID has affected the ag ecosystem in, in knowledge transfer and in technology adoption and um, you know, some of the other agronomic um, acceleration that, that we're seeing in some places? Well, there's, there's uh, the first of all, uh, agriculture should be applauded during COVID that it performed the way it did people all of a sudden began to realize that holy shit like food is important and if i don't have it that, that's not a good thing so agriculture needs to take advantage of its success during covid the other thing is that it's a disparate industry david so by and large a lot of things really didn't change that much on the farm yes farmers had to adopt to make sure they're hired their 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 crews were more isolated than before, weren't going to town and stuff like that. But for the most part, farms adapted pretty well. So did the agricultural re retail system. It adapted pretty well. Um, at the end of the day, what a lot of people who are from, not from agriculture, but are wanting to play in the ag tech world forget about, is they forget that agriculture is a, a business of, of millions and billions. It means that we're, we're dealing in millions of pounds of seed and tons of fertilizer and billions of dollars of commodities that need to be moved around in trucks and, and, set, you know, and, 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 and uh, carts. And these movement of these commodities and these inputs and the outputs of agriculture 
mean that we needed to adopt technology that allowed a human interface without direct physical contact and still precipitated or facilitated the movement of these millions of tons of product. So it was kind of interesting to watch. And what's really interesting right now is like, will we go back to the way we were doing things before? Will we really have white pickup trucks driving up and down driveways, visiting farmers for a half hour call when really the farmer doesn't want to get bothered anyways. And maybe the best way to deal with that is to book a half hour on AgVisor Pro and talk to him for free or do a Zoom meeting or whatever it is. But I, I think a lot of companies are going to think about the costs of windshield time today and wonder if we're going to go back to that. I mean, I don't think I'm going to go back to jumping on an airplane and flying to St. Louis for a two hour meeting and wasting three days of my time when this is probably 85 or 90% is good. So it'll be interesting to see how we come out of this thing. And of course at the farm gate, it's all about ROI, right? So you talk about that lost time, um, perhaps with those meetings and how technology is enabling the acceleration of adoption in some ways. Um, if you look at autonomous vehicles, for example, uh, about a year ago, they were saying, ah, we could be five, five to 10 years out still. But COVID really accelerated the adoption and the, the acceptance of autonomous vehicles on the road, where now we're saying by the end of the year, it could be um, possible in major markets. And it's already happening in, in some markets. So are you seeing that corollary happening in, in ag adoption? Well, I, th I think so, David. If you think about it, robots are perfect for dull, dirty, and dangerous work. And agriculture, by and large, is dull, dirty, and dangerous. And when you think about some of the operations that are going on on the farm today, uh, there's no reason that we couldn't farm some of this stuff out to robots. You think about fertilizer spreading. Come on, that could be done. Uh, think about in-season crop spraying, especially now that uh, equipment in row crops can be actually guided by vision. So you take Raven's technology of stereoscopic cameras that can drive, and I was inside of a case sprayer, was traveling 15 miles an hour down soybean rows, being guided entirely by vision. So you couple those technologies into some of the real basic type of applications. Land rolling is another one. Uh, you know, um, and then another one that's interesting to me is during the time of harvesting corn, soybeans, uh, you're, you're harvesting those crops and you want to plant a cover crop at the same time. That time constraint is real problematic when you've got to be on the combine or the grain cart and on the seed drill or the planter at the same time. Well, through the dot technology, we had established that Perhaps one of the ideas was to be able to run dot and plant cover crops at the same time you're sitting on the combine because it could seed all day long. So I think that, uh, you know, and there are so many robots now coming out in agriculture, many of them small scale uh, for, uh, for viticulture or vegetable crops. We just signed a deal with Ecoation. You should check them out. The work that they're doing inside of greenhouses and stuff there's two viruses keeping experts out of greenhouses right now. One is the coronavirus, and the other one is the brown virus. These are contagions inside of the plant, so you don't want 
people going inside of a whole bunch of greenhouses any more than you want visitors coming inside your hog barn. So this, this ability of using robots, not only is it efficient, um, but it reduces CapEx costs, reduces operating costs, and it deals with the number one constraint in agriculture today. And again, city people wouldn't realize that. And that is the issue of labor on the farm. Most farms are disparate. Uh, they're a long way from anywhere and finding qualified operators that can run half or a million dollar pieces of equipment is no small feat today. And of course, a lot of these companies um, tend to be in the startup phase right now, um, mm. commercialization in some varying degrees. Can you um, talk a little bit, you spent a lot of your life raising capital and in the startup community. What's it like for startups now? And um, is there access to capital? What's the investor environment look like? Well, I'm, I'm in an A round right now. And so, uh, so you know, at my age, you can see this isn't my first rodeo and it's really difficult. So you have a young entrepreneur and you, you put in your own money. So I put in my own seed capital, significant amount. And then I went out and raised a friends and farmer round. So I got a number of farmers to invest. That'd be, be called the friends and family round. So that's what the next step is for young investor. And then the seed round. And I was lucky enough to have six agricultural family offices invest in the seed round. Well, right now, as it stands today, I'm in my seed round money and that money will run out. And so what I need next is I need an A round. And somewhere between seed round and A round is Death Valley. And Death Valley is you're not commercial enough to have enough revenue yet. You're still proving out your concept. You're assembling the team and it's just money out, money out, money out, money out. And the problem that we have today is we have a lot of people with good ideas in agriculture uh, but there are two problems. Number one is we don't have enough uh, patient capital coming into the business to realize that they need to invest and stick with it for a while. Uh, so there's a lot of money out in the world, but not a lot of it understands agriculture. So that's, uh, that's, we need that kind of ethos. We need that understanding uh, that we need that patient capital. And then uh, we need to find a way for these companies to exit at some point in time. And that's been slow because agriculture, of course, uh, is cyclical. So you plant one crop a year, or it takes whatever, a couple of years to raise a, a cow. And, you know, all these things are, they take time. They take time. So anyways, those are kind of the things that go through my, my mind when it comes to financing. Um, you know, it'll be interesting if we could take some of these uh, startups and and move them, mature, mature them, and, and, and blow them into the IPO marketplace as we recently witnessed, maybe there's some appetite there that appears to be for the greater investment community to invest in ag. Certainly investing in farmland is too difficult for most people. So there, there's going to be a lot of startups, David, a lot of exciting, there's hundreds and hundreds of companies right now that are trying to crack the code on uh, sustainability and new ways to grow things and, uh, you know, carbon and all that kind of stuff. Is that uh, investment money still coming from non-endemic agriculture companies? You know, the um, ag was the sweetheart of the kind of the tech investment community for a while. Is that, is that still the case? Is, 
is capital as readily available as it as it was maybe a decade ago? Yes and no. Uh, I think that there was a, a great attraction out of the Silicon Valley area uh, to agriculture. Think about the you know the um, climate, the granular time uh, investment coming in. So that was kind of cool. Today, what I'm seeing is a little bit different. I'm seeing family office money uh, who, for the most part, have a different outlook, the ethos. They wanna do something good for the planet. And so if you can identify um, with those family offices that wanna do something good, I, I, I particularly like this area because number one is it's more patient. Number two is it's a lot nicer to talk to a family office that has capital to invest to make the world a better place than a venture capitalist that wants to try to flip the cash over and turn a, turn a, turn a profit. So I think that there's a, a nice kind of a merging of those. And, and I'm sensing more and more consortiums of family offices looking for ways to put money in. That's not to take anything away from the fall line capitals or the Finisteers or the Cultivians that have been so uh, uh, useful for the agricultural sector because they've been there through the long haul as well. But I, I think there's more, more, op, more avenues coming in to agriculture than have ever been here before, David. Let's talk a little bit about that purpose-based investment and um, really the purpose-based consumer mentality that's working its way into production systems. You know, I'm talking about, we talked about carbon credits very briefly. This yep. um, is what everyone's talking about in terms of how to measure and not only make farms more profitable, but to be able to validate production systems that resonate with an increasingly discerning consumer, grocer, uh, re, um, and, um, and, and processor. So, you know, we're, we're seeing, um, more of this purpose-based yep. investment. Um, are, how are you seeing this manifest uh, on the farm? And is are these carbon credits something that farmers by and large are able to capitalize on right now? Okay, I'm gonna start off with, I'm gonna answer this kind of a long-winded answer, but first of all, there are three streams of data that are required coming off the farm. First one is farm management data. Farmers need to have the data to manage their farms better. The second one is what consumers want, which is kind of finicky and it changes and it's called transparency data, trust data or confidence data. Show me where things were grown and how they were grown. The third one is what people are talking about today, which is really sustainability data. And you hear these terminologies being thrown around like regenerative agriculture and, sus and sustainability and agroecology and organic and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, uh, what's really important is the outcomes that need to come from this. So if we think about, and I think about, what is the pinch point today globally in agriculture? What is the pinch point? We see a lot of companies going IOT to data, data to data, data to machine, machine to machine. Who's talking about the intersection of the human being into the equation? Who's talking about that? Well, we are, but, but who's talking about that? And what's the pinch point today? The pinch point today, it always has been for farmers, is the right advice from the right expert at the right time. Those are the pinch points. Now, let's talk about carbon. What is carbon? What is a carbon market? 
Well, you never trade carbon, David. You never trade a pound or a ton of carbon. All you trade is data. And so you have to have um, confidence in the data that's being created. And so a lot, and I mean a lot of the stuff I hear out there is fluff right now. They have no idea about how they're gonna create the credits, how they're gonna, and this is, these are some of the keys. You need a registry, someplace to register the credits. You need to serialize those credits. You've got to audit the credits. You've got to transact the credits. You got to make sure that when you generate credits off of this field behind me, that there's not a contingent liability. So I got paid for the credits. And if I sell the land to you, do you have to live up to my practices? Is there a contingent liability? Nobody thinks about these things. However, society wants us to move in a certain direction. They want us to reduce inputs. I'm all for that. They want us to make sure that we're sequestering more greenhouse gases or minimizing um, methane, minimizing nitrous oxide. I'm all for that. And hopefully this will create a new marketplace for farmers, but at the heart of it, at the heart of it, Deva, is data. At the end of the story, we never trade a ton of carbon. We trade the data. And the better and the more robust the data platform is, uh, the more secure, the, the, the more sure you're at, you are of what it is you're doc documenting, the more valuable that uh, that carbon offset equivalent is worth. There are going to be a lot of companies coming into this space to validate these carbon credits and how they're being sold, how they're being managed. Um, do you have any advice for people looking into this? Uh, and on how to make sense of, of. Well, you know, we, we went through this in, in the, kind of in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, so we struck AgriTrend aggregation, now it's Trimble aggregation, and we traded over $50 million worth of offsets, I think, to date back to farmers. So this is, this is doable. Um, in that time, I saw a lot of companies come and go. A lot of companies make big promises and leave. From a farmer standpoint, uh, there's nothing wrong with taking some money if it's on the table, provided, and this is the big one, provided that you read the contract carefully and there's not a contingent liability. Uh, that's the one thing that concerns me the most is uh, a farmer signing something and then realizing that he has to, thou shalt, zero till for the next 10 years. See, under the protocols we had here in Alberta, which were, uh, uh, so one of, the, one of the things was if you have a wet year and you have a lot of ruts in the field, well, we negotiated as part of the protocol, a farmer could till up to 10% of his land in the fall if he had to smooth out the fields and not abdicate his carbon credit standing. You have to think about these things, you know, and a lot of people are not. And um, so um, I have no problem in farmers taking advantage of a new market that is emerging. Uh, so long as they're not on the hook for contingent liability. Great, Robert. Just a couple minutes here left. I know we're running a little bit over, but wondered if you can give me a couple of your thoughts about the next year. How are farmers doing? You, you do a lot of consulting work with major farms. Um, there are some trends influencing adoption of, of uh, technology, such as the changing demographics that we're starting to see. Um, give me give me a couple trends for the coming year that you think are uh, are playing out. 
Well, in my whole career, my, you know, my extensive career in agriculture, I've never seen partial budget analysis looking as strong as they do right now. Um, I deal with 20 power farmers in a peer group, and we just finished this exercise last week. And when you're dealing with contribution margins north of 350, north of $500 per crop, that's very significant. So, um, you know, this may be the year to, to be aggressive with agronomy if I've ever seen a year, uh, and also to make sure your mitigation, risk mitigation strategies are in play. I think that there's going to be a dividing. I, I see, you know, divisions in agriculture happening. One is between farmers adopting technology versus those that aren't. That 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 gap is widening. Um, you know, our our research work back in the day showed 35 to 55 dollars an acre more profit when you adopted variable rate and precision ag technology. So over 10,000 acres, that's a lot of money. And after a few years, you come and buy back the guy who's not using technology. The other one is niche marketing, the kind of the suburban or the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the urban farmer, the urban farmer target market, uh, you know, where you can sell your produce for a higher price based on the story. I think that's gonna to continue to grow. I don't like it particularly because the marketing often vilifies those who are growing broad acre crops or, or raising larger number of, of livestock, but I don't think it's gonna go away any time soon. And we have to remember that agriculture has been and always will be a commodity business, David. And at the end of the day, I think Mo Russell out of Iowa said it the best is that the unit cost of production will always, uh, the sale price will always equal the average unit cost of production. So at the end of the day, agriculture is a break-even business at best for the average. The only people who are getting ahead in agriculture are those people who are not average. Um, so it's always been that way. And, and because the CapEx side of agriculture and the land side of agriculture is big, don't look at, uh, at more farmers in that larger category. It'll be more consolidation. However, I think there could be an emerging millennial, that, that urban-ish, uh, urban edge type of farming, I think we'll probably see more of that coming in the marketplace as well. So it's kind of nice, but the middle, the middle is the one that's kind of dropping out. That's what I see. Robert, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to chat. Yeah, I just uh, thank you for this. And uh, it's an honor to be with you guys. And I'm looking forward to the Vision Conference. And I'm very honored to be part of the PACE Advisory Council with you guys. And, and best success as we go forward into 21. Thank you and, and to you as well. You can hear more on this topic and more on the future of farming at precisionag.com. On behalf of the entire Precision Ag Global team, Thanks for listening to our Visionary Series.